Hi guys, thanks for tuning in. Welcome to my podcast on all things creative, uh, the philosophy of creativity and the impact of what we do as writers, artists, uh, and how we affect change in society. Uh, I'm your host, Al Kang. Well, I say host. Fellow prisoner is probably more apropos, or uh, fellow journeyman at the very least. I want to talk a little bit in this introductory podcast about what it is that that drives us. I mean, in terms of a creative writing, screenwriting, novel writing, or, uh, you know, concept art type podcast, there are millions of them out there. Well, maybe not millions, but definitely several thousand of them out there that deal with things like structure, methodology, and ways of approaching this, that, or the other. I wanted to take it a, a little bit further, especially because it is a podcast, uh, and I wanted to talk about one of the most vexing things for a creative, whether, again, whether you're a writer or an artist, and that is theme. Uh, in my experience, what I've seen in a lot of these types of broadcasts is that theme is presented as a subsection or a subcategory of a broader picture of how to approach, you know, solving story dilemmas and things like that. Uh, but for me, I think theme is such an enormous problem that in and of itself, it deserves an entire series. After all, what is it we're trying to do as creative people? Let's get to the heart of that matter first, because I think that's quite important to sort of look at and address. Why, why write? Why create a beautiful piece of art? What is it that we're up to? Well, let's first of all talk about what is the impetus of a well-told story? Well, boiling it down to its essential components, you could describe an effective story or an effective screenplay as presenting a problem that is solved. That, at the root of it, is probably the simplest you'd want to get in terms of any way of defining a story. Now, this is sort of important because the narrative context that we use to frame that problem resonates with, with people. And I think one of the most powerful, powerful responsibilities we have as a creative is that we are offering those solutions out there to people who have vexing issues in their lives. We're offering them an opportunity to engage in a world where all things considered, there are perfect responses, perfect answers, perfect solutions to everything. <laughs> Even when you frame it as an imperfect and rather messy story, but we'll get to that. In terms of realism, uh, a lot of the solutions that, uh, let's just say, characters have to struggle to arrive to their solution. But more importantly, this is at the heart of escapist fantasy. You ran those situations where, you know, you're, you're in an argument and somebody gets the upper hand and you sputter and stammer a bit and you storm away and then maybe ten minutes later you're like, ah, you know, I should have said that. And you think of the perfect response. Well, this is what fiction gives us. Fiction gives us the opportunity, or rather, at the first stage, the writer, the opportunity to craft those perfect responses in those perfect beats and perfect moments of time.
time where you can drop those responses uh, or you can find those perfect solutions in situations uh, that you wouldn't normally find so easily navigable in real life. And this is what resonates with people, this idea of uh, finding a story or a piece of artwork or a piece of music that resonates with you and your problems and offers you that particular pathway to help you navigate through life. And I think that is at the heart of what makes theme powerful. So the ingredients for theme, uh, by that you know, definition, are varied and complex. So one of the things I'd like to do is uh, sort of unpack this idea of theme by examining human behavioral psychology, understanding philosophy, and perhaps how it pertains to law and the, the socio-political kind of structure that we've created for ourselves in a Western democracy, and uh, understand where all this comes from. Because, to be honest with you, narrative is so powerful that we seek it out in everything. We seek it out in the music that we listen to. Musicians understand that songs that resonate with a lot of of power usually have some sort of story driving it. We know that concept artists are always seeking this type of narrative power, even in a single piece of artwork, where there's a broader sense of a larger world. Uh, of course, there's screenwriting, where every character has a fleshed out, fully realized life that simply happens to intersect story timeline at the time the audience encounters them. So, understanding those essential ingredients and how they come together to form that narrative to solve that problem is something that we encounter on a day-to-day basis, but taking that a little bit further, I think understanding what that problem being solved, what it actually is for our particular piece of work is something that will help us arrive at theme. Aaron Sorkin once said that he worshipped at the altar of intention and obstacle. You've probably heard that repeated hundreds of times in various different forms and various different tutorials. But I tell you, our intention to do something is what reveals the problem. So it's fine and dandy for me to be able to define story as a problem that needs to be solved. But how does that problem arise? Well, that problem arises when a character wants to do something. So, that very, very simple equation will solve a number of different issues for us. For example, will prevent us from creating passive characters, will give us a clear objective for a central character, and, you know, not have anything esoteric for the character to solve, like world peace, you know, and, and things like that, and give us a concrete set of tasks that the hero has to go through. Hopefully that mimics certain things in our lives, uh, and that way we end up rooting for that particular character to solve those issues. Sounds simple enough. But what is that intention? What is it that drives us? What is that obstacle? What is it that stops us? And if we can figure that out, we can start to look at a broader context of appeal, both globally uh, and addressing the human condition, and ultimately landing on theme. So this is a 
goal of this particular series of podcasts, as we go through each of the episodes, as I'm driving into work, as this is when I'm recording this, uh, I'm going to take a look at my thoughts on how I arrive at theme. If I can find a very, very powerful theme that I can drive through my story as an undercurrent of all events that are unfolding, it adds that narrative power because it resonates with people and their problems and hopefully harnesses some form of axiomatic truth and we can take our audience through that wonderful journey of empathy, sympathy, empathy, and ultimately transportation or self-actualization. So, <laughs> lofty goals. Uh, now, again, a lot of these uh, podcasts are raw, unscripted. Again, on my drive into work. Uh, these are just thoughts I'm putting out there in the ether. Uh, but hopefully, it makes some kind of sense. Uh, I'm going to listen back to this and roll my eyes a little bit, I think. But there we have it. So, uh, yeah, check in next time on my podcast. I'll uh, probably start taking a look at the conundrum of law and how law has evolved from philosophy and can oftentimes give us the most interesting things to unpack when we're designing our story or our pieces of art and can themselves ultimately lead to some very fascinating characters. Okay, till next time. Talk to you later. Hi guys, thanks for tuning in. Welcome to The Vanishing Point, a podcast that discusses everything creative in our new digital autophony, whether it's writing, music, drawing, art, you name it. Just uh, our new age of human expression. So, last episode, we sort of took a look at boiling down narrative to its salient points. Basically, A, a problem, that B, needed to be solved. Well, I think at the heart of the problem is where our next discussion lies. Because when we do approach a problem, the first question we may internally ask is, what is the right answer? What is the right thing to do? And we all sort of navigate through life with this idea of, understanding what the right thing to do is, and then doing our utmost best to execute on that idea. That is at the heart of moral dilemma in narrative. It's also at the heart of moral reasoning. And it's a question that's kind of vexed civilization for millennia. See, the problem with doing the right thing is the definition of what is right and wrong and the boundaries therein. There are some clear-cut ideas or moral laws, if I can state it that way, that are clear-cut, that we can all mutually agree upon, uh, if not you know, being open to discussion of the exceptions to the rule. But in general, the majority of us agree with these things the majority of the time, like thou shalt not kill. Actually, all of the Ten Commandments, I think, resonate because... They hit closer to home when it comes to moral law and moral reasoning. It's only when we start to approach the outliers, those areas that are fuzzier, where our categorical thinking can't help us out. And this is where we have a tendency to 
and debate and argue and even polarize. It's in these darker regions of moral law that philosophers have engaged in intellectual combat. Uh, actually, I hate calling it intellectual combat. Uh, more on that later. Uh, but I think when a film starts to approach these less clear-cut areas at the edges of the continuum of what is right and wrong, it becomes more entertaining. And I'll tell you why. We oftentimes as writers or creators discuss the fact that a messy movie or a messy narrative is very enjoyable to, to watch. We talk about the idea that clear-cut right and wrong is more, quote, real. It's as if intuitively we understand that in a continuum there aren't any clear-cut answers, that there aren't clearly marked boundaries delineating separations between categories. So we really, really appreciate it. But we also seek out the answer. We unconsciously say to ourselves, look, we're in a gray area here. What is the answer to this? Now, a, a creative's responsibility is to provide that answer. Uh, open endings aside, we'll discuss open endings. But it is incumbent upon us to provide an answer. Now, whether or not we convince is besides the point. Again, tying to the first podcast, what we were trying to do is build a scaffolding where people can hang their moral ideas and their hopes and dreams. They may not agree with us in our final conclusion. In fact, I encourage that. Or we may be providing those answers. Either way, it is an answer. And we end up leaving the theater satisfied that an answer has been given, even though we disagree with the answer. We end up arguing about it with our colleagues at the water cooler. This engagement of discussion is wonderful to watch in action because ultimately it's us as members of society, members of the human race, discussing what is right and wrong, what to stand for, what to fight for. Uh, and uh, this is why having these moral questions intrinsically tied to theme, I'm, I'm still debating whether or not you can even separate them. This is what resonates with people, and this is how entertainment properties do have cultural impact. Uh, one of the many ways, rather, that an entertainment property has cultural impact. Okay, so what is our definition of right and wrong, or rather, in this podcast, my definition of right and wrong that I decide to present to you guys for further discussion. Well, let's go back to the, uh, the trolley car incident uh, that I discussed based on the Harvard Lectures on Jurisprudence. Now, there was a short film that I saw a little while ago. Uh, well, it would be a number of years now. I was working at uh, Electronic Arts on the game Skate, and I had the pleasure to work with a wonderful uh, sound designer named uh, Lance Brown. And on the side, he was working on a short film project with some colleagues. And he invited me into his studio one day and uh, screened for me the short film. And I was absolutely blown away by it. And the end of the film, I was left torn. And it was pretty much the trolley car dilemma. Now, what had happened was 
The story centered around a bridge operator whose only task in his day-to-day scenario was to ensure that a drawbridge either remained in an upright position or, or a down position. Now, the key to this drawbridge is that it contained a a track. And the daily commuter train would travel along this bridge at certain set times during the day. Now, the dilemma of the story is that during the course of one casual working day, somebody got caught in the gears and the mechanisms of the drawbridge. During one of those times where the commuter train was on its way. So the dilemma of the main character was, do you either lower the bridge, crushing and subsubsequently killing that other human being to save the lives of the commuters on the train, or do you rush out and try to save that single life at the possible risk of sacrificing the dozens of lives on that train. It's a horrifying, horrifying choice to make. But it's something that, uh, again, presents itself at the heart of most moral dilemmas, where it isn't clear-cut what is the right thing to do on the left or the right. So, One of the things that we'll take a look at in terms of creating drama is understanding how to balance those issues that we have difficulty understanding what the right thing to do is and factoring in human emotion. Now, here's the problem. We oftentimes live in a fairly fact-based society where when we struggle to sort of delineate what's right and wrong, we often refer refer to cold, cold, hard facts. This, to us, is the fallback position. Now, it's interesting, because I'd like to talk about this a little bit, because facts in and of themselves hold a fairly large amount of weight but it is conceivable that their power can increase when we take into account context. So understanding that when we're coming up with theme and we understand we're tackling a particular moral law, making a stand is one thing, but we cannot divorce it from the story world that we've created inside our narrative. And here's what I mean. If we come at it from a purely factual, purely scientific approach, many of us out there would take the utilitarian approach, you know, and uh, use consequential moral reasoning, uh, more on that later, might uh, take that approach for more consequential moral reasoning and say, look, we have to lower the bridge to save the lives on that train. So a champion of consequential moral reasoning was uh, a British scholar named Jeremy Bentham. And uh, he was a profound utilitarian. And it was very much 
moral laws were predicated on the greater good. The greater good. That is a massive, massive issue in and of itself. The problem with the greater good is that there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of emotional investment in the greater good. It's only when we're dealing with each other on an individual level where we truly feel the emotional power of the decisions that we make. The contrary opinion to consequential moral reasoning is categorical moral reasoning, which is much more of an individualistic approach. In the scenario I outlined of the bridge operator, we can quite easily say that we need to save the passengers on the train at the sacrifice of that single life, no matter how sad it is. Well, here's the thing. In the film, the person that got caught in the gears of that bridge was the bridge operator's five-year-old son. Suddenly, our utilitarian approach doesn't seem as humane. Interesting interesting and something worth pondering and discussing in future episodes because the question I leave for you now dangling there out in the open is should the bridge operator save his five-year-old son at the risk of killing a trainload of people or let the inevitable happen to save dozens of lives that and determining the answer to that is drama okay thanks a lot guys for listening um again these are rough raw thoughts early in the morning during rush hour traffic i generally sit down and translate this further into written work and post them as articles on linkedin so if you're interested in seeing how these morning thoughts evolve into an article please feel free to log into my LinkedIn account under Al Kang and uh, have a look. I think I've got an article posted up there already for episode one, and episode two's article will be coming in the next couple of days. Thanks a lot, guys.